If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. Love great stories well told? Visit audioiron.com to find the best in audio fiction. Chapter 20. Corwin sent word to Christina immediately after the ship made port in London. In under an hour her cousin appeared, an impressive retinue in tow. A doctor, a maid, two footmen and a groom ushered her into the carriage, where Christina folded her into her arms. Home at last, Corwin started to cry. Hours later she was back in the room she had stayed in more than a year ago. Servants had bathed her, brushed her hair and put her to bed like a child. Now, Christina sat on the edge of the bed, almost as if she were afraid that Corwin would disappear again if she left the room, so, you are to have a child, I am sorry to have brought yet another scandal upon you, said Corwin. She took her cousin's hand, I will leave tomorrow morning and no one need ever know I was here, perhaps in Cornwall servants and sailors have no tongues, Christina said with a little smile, I can assure you that by now half of London knows you are here and the rest will find out in the morning, I did not know, it's all right my dear. No one will hold me to ill account for providing you a place to stay, and I should not care if they did. I do not know what to say. You have been so kind to me and I've been nothing but trouble to you. Do not be a goose. Christina patted Corwin's leg through the coverlet. You seem well and happy. That is what matters. I am. I want this baby more than anything in the world. Corwin said the words without thinking, then added. I mean, I am glad to be here. I've been through so much. And I cannot help loving my child. Of course you cannot. Does the child belong to Devon Black? Christina asked the question as though it were a matter of course. No. Whatever gave you that idea? Corwin's blood ran cold. How could Christina have guessed such a thing? He wasn't seen in London after his escape from Newgate, and rumors have it since that he was a sea captain who kept a ship in the Pool of London. You can be sure I will not be the only one jumping to the conclusion that the child is his. The Earl of Kettering is not the father. That is a man named Edward Jacobs. I am quite beyond the pale of respectability now. Is it just idle curiosity that will drive people to want to know such a thing? London's curiosity is never idle. It is a feverishly ravenous thing that eats unfortunates alive every day. But let us simply take tonight to be thankful you are home. Tomorrow we can take on the world. Until a few hours ago I thought you were dead. Now that I know you are safe I will have my first good night's sleep in over a year. She stood up and shook the folds from her gown. She leaned down to kiss Corwin, then left her alone to rest. Who could possibly be calling upon her less than twenty-four hours after her arrival in London? Roused from a sound sleep by a maid, Corwin had learned that a guest demanding an audience with her waited for her in Christina's front parlour. Could it be Devon? He could not possibly have followed her here so quickly. With the help of the maid she dressed in one of the plain gowns she had purchased for her voyage. She found it stretched over tight across her breasts and did nothing to hide her swelling figure. 
Should she refuse to go down? To what purpose? Her secret would be out soon enough. She entered the parlor with a frightened maid in tow. Lady Chase. I cannot tell you how delighted I am to see you again. Henry Norfolk said as she entered the room. He was fashionably dressed in a pearl gray suit that matched his cold eyes. His pale powdered hair was pulled back into a queue. Corwin stumbled back against a chair, her heart suddenly pounding in her chest like a hammer hitting an anvil. I thought you were dead. Then you must be overjoyed to see me. Henry moved across the room toward her and she shrunk back. He stopped, amused by her fear. My family let out that I was dead after Black slipped away from Newgate. I was in no position to defend myself you understand. In a few days, when no services were held, they had to let everyone in on the ruse. But by then I was far away. And so, might I add, were you? Corwin forced herself to stand upright. She squared her shoulders and spoke with as firm a voice as she could. How dare you come to me here? I never want to see you again. Leave or I shall have you thrown from the house. Oh my dear, we are quite past all that. No. You will stay here and we will have a proper conversation. With all the trouble we have caused one another, I believe we can avoid falling into old habits. I shall not attack you and you shall not try to run away. Why on earth should I deign to speak with you? Corwin could feel the noose slipping around her neck even as she said the words. Nothing had changed about their relative positions. She might not have been to lose, but she had her child and Christina. Because you have so much to lose if you do not. Now be a good girl and send for something to eat. I am here at daybreak you know. I thought you might try to slip away when you heard I was in town. Corwin sank back into the chair and nodded to the maid. A moment later she and Henry were alone. Shall I show you my momento of our last encounter? He untied his cravat to show her a hand-sized mass of thick scars on his throat. It festered. They had to bleed me for weeks on end, draining the infection from me drop by drop until the wound finally decided to heal. It is impressive, isn't it? Every doctor we consulted said I would die. Corwin stared at the tortured flesh wishing Black's blade had done its work. Yes, Norfolk should have died. She was quite certain of that. A maid returned with pots of chocolate, rolls, butter, cheese and jam. Henry ordered the girl to set a table between them and then to see that they remained undisturbed. Shall I tell you how it is to be? He buttered a roll and placed it on a plate before her. I am not afraid of you anymore. You cannot frighten me as you did before. Of course not. By all accounts sharing a man's bed should hold few surprises for you now. I would be following in the steps of many I hear. He ate his roll and poured chocolate into their cups. But I am here to collect compensation for our unfortunate past. If I did not believe that exacting revenge over time would serve me better than killing you outright, you would already be dead. If you try to run away again, I will exact revenge against those who live on your estates and then I will hunt you and your child down. I trust all this is understood. He looked up to meet her eyes. So you will return to that shabby home of yours in the West Country and I will stay at one of my properties nearby. You shall have your child and we shall pack it off to someone we need never hear from again. Then we will marry. You are out of your mind. We will take our wedding vows and live together until death do us part. You have already proven yourself fertile. You can bear my heir as well as Black's bastard. And that will give me all the time in the world to punish you. What are you talking about? Devon Black is not the father of my child. Norfolk leaned forward as though he were sharing a confidence with her. I knew a great deal about the Black Earl even before you left. I know more now. He kept a ship in the Pool of London for weeks before he disappeared. Just before our unfortunate altercation, he was making plans to set sail. One way or another you ended up on his ship. I know it in my very bones. You carry his child in your belly. Tell me I am wrong and perhaps I will believe you. 
his grey eyes took in her every move. Lord Norfolk, I assure you that this is not Devon Black's child and I will not marry you. You now know what you came to find out. Now let me tell you one thing you might not know. I will not allow you to bully me any more. Henry laughed and clapped his hands as if she had told an amusing story. You have no one left to defend you or those you love. You have no means at all to stop me. What gives you the right to abuse me so? Do not be ridiculous. God himself gives me the right. We know this because you cannot stop me. He brushed crumbs from his clothes onto the floor and stood up. I assume you will be leaving town for the country directly. You can expect to receive me there in a week or so. His eyes dropped to her swollen belly. By the look of things we won't have long to reach an understanding. Lord Norfolk left the house with a spring in his step. Once in his carriage he took a pinch of snuff and contemplated his future. It was hard to believe the girl had returned to England and surprising to see her heavy with child. He had no doubt that Lord Black was the father of the babe. The Earl had a ship, property in the colonies, and had disappeared just prior to Corwin's abrupt departure. It did not take great imagination to believe that he and she had conspired to flee London together and that their affair had progressed to its natural conclusion. Marrying was a bold move but it was the best way to ensure he would have his chance at Lord Black. Sooner or later the man would appear to see his child. When he did Henry intended to have his revenge, after Black was dead, or if he never came to claim his soiled lover, Norfolk would simply arrange for his young wife to have a deadly accident. He would not be the first husband, or the last, to be swiftly widowed by mischance. Perhaps she could die in childbirth after they were married. That would provide him with the heir his mother ceaselessly demanded but not burden him with a wife who might try to make demands of her own. When Corwin arrived at Chase Manor, Matty bustled about her continuously as if she might die without another cup of tea or another log on the fire. A stout woman, she was as devoted to Corwin as she had been to Corwin's mother. Eat. Else it is thy own teeth the babe will use to build his bones, she warned, and thee will not be riding out as thee did before thee left. Thy babe has no use for a fall. A girl in thy way must stay within if she wills to protect her child. So Corwin wandered about the house and gardens in an endless search for something to occupy her mind and keep her thoughts from Devon Black, her brother, Henry and all the fears and sorrows that preyed upon her. Sometimes she did venture into the stables to feed Hercules a ration of carrots or apples. Her huge black stallion would press its head against hers, sidling up hard against the gate that kept them apart. She knew he wondered why they could not go out for a long ride along the beach or a race across the fields to Lamb's End. At night Corwin frequently let Matty put her to bed only to rise again a few hours later so she could wander about the house. She would sit in the library looking at Ben's old letters or trying to find a book she had not read a hundred times. She would pore over maps, looking for the island she had shared with Devon, remembering the sunlight on the water, the way he had looked at her, and the way they had touched. Long after midnight she would drag herself up the stairs to bed, there to toss and turn until dawn finally came. A fortnight after she returned home, Henry appeared in her library. He entered the house without waiting to be invited, explored the lower floor until he found her. He wore black riding clothes and it was the first time she had ever seen him in something that did not look girlish. Now he looked sinister, as promised, I have come to call. He folded himself into a chair before her fire and tapped his boots with his riding quirt. Chunks of mud fell onto her hearth. Get out, or what? Will you send that housekeeper of yours after me? I look forward to teaching her some manners. I will never marry you. Corwin closed her book and stood up. He gave her a lingering look. You have filled out a bit since I saw you last. Strange how women change when they carry a child. 
I have had a mistress or two swell over the years, but I never lingered to see what became of them. You are a wicked and vicious man to torment me so. Get out of my house or I will call my groomsmen to make you leave. Belatedly Corwin tried to remember if either Tom or Jack were in the stables now. Matty sent them to town twice a week to buy flour sugar and other necessities the manor could not provide. Was this one of those days? And you have the appearance of a harridan and the mouth of a shrew. Enraged and frightened, Corwin turned toward the door. Surely she could find someone who would bar the door so he could never enter again. Before she could exit the room he was in front of her. I did not say you could leave my lady. Get away from me. Corwin took a step back and was startled to find he followed the motion. She had forgotten how quickly he could move. Look where defying me has got you. No lover, no brother, heavy with a bastard. How much you have harmed yourself by failing to accede to my wishes when last you were in England. He tilted her chin up so she would look at him. He was so close his breath stirred her hair. You must stop. I must do nothing my lady. Norfolk ran a finger along her cheek. You should be glad I will have you when you are so cast off and despoiled. You must be thankful for my attentions. He brushed his lips across hers and Corwin felt something dark and ugly stir within her. How easy it would be to let him have what he wanted. She was no stranger to a man's bed. No innocent ignorant of what passed between a man and a woman. Yes. I am a man and you are a strumpet. There is no reason we should be at odds, said Norfolk sensing the momentary change in her. Corwin wrenched herself away, brought a hand hard across his face, then pushed past him to the door. She strode from the room as if the devil himself were behind her. She was at the stairs leading up to her bedroom when he caught her. Such a spitfire. I look forward to taming you in the months to come. But beware. You can trust me to be quite ruthless if you erect any barriers between us. I will destroy anyone or anything that stands in my way. You have everything to lose, my lady, and I have everything to gain by destroying you. He held her arm as he brushed his lips across hers again, savoring her recoil. Then he bounded down the stairs. I will visit again soon, he called as he left the house. And who is yon rogue who thrusts himself into thy house as if he owned thee? An hour after Norfolk's attack, Matty's five-foot full-figured frame was shaking with anger. He did push me into a closet and put a chair under the handle. Thee must send him packing. He is a friend. A very powerful lord from London, Corwin said wearily. Next time he comes, just fetch me. I will make sure he does not hurt you. All she wanted to do was lie down in her warm bed and go to sleep. He is no friend of thine. A rogue and a villain he is. I would sooner leave thee with a mad dog than with such a one. Corwin began to undo the long row of buttons down the front of her dress. Tis hardly tea time and thee is fallen in bed like it were the crack of midnight. Thee is white as a sheet. Thee has had a shock of some kind and devil take me if thy friend be not the cause of it. Matty took over the buttons, and helped Corwin step out of the dress when it fell to the ground. If thy brother were here I warrant he would chase the scoundrel away. I will not be doing less for thee. But Ben is not here. I am mistress here and I tell you I will handle him. You are not to bar his entry, nor allow any other to impede him. You shall treat him as an honored guest. Corwin slipped into bed, folded her body around the baby growing inside her and closed her eyes. Why will thee not let us help thee? Matty, hands folded across her substantial bosom, waited for a reply. You will help me most by doing exactly as I ask, said Corwin. The only escape from the trials and perils of this world was oblivion, she thought. Begging your pardon, my lady. I come about your brother, Captain Chase. The weathered man had appeared at the door just at sunset the next day. What about him? asked Corwin. She had been summoned to the front parlor to meet with someone who claimed to have word of her brother. 
Fear excitement and disbelief all ward within her. What terrible or wonderful thing might she hear in the next few moments? Can you tell me where he is? I have been so worried. What if Ben were to be home in time to see the baby arrive? Would not that be wonderful? Together they could decide what to do about Norfolk. The others thought I should come because I saw him at the end when he went looking for ye. The end? Corwin's heart sank. I know he went looking for me in Port Royal. He gave up his commission, hired a new crew. But surely he discovered that I was not there anymore. You were told you were bought by a Spaniard, Senor Lucas. We lit out after him and found his lands. Your brother left the ship to fetch ye and were never seen again. He licked his lips, then continued. When we made London, we heard ye were alive and they sent me to tell ye. While the man talked he screwed his hat around in his hands, twisting it first one way then another. Corwin said nothing, barely able to grasp what he was telling her. Ben, dead? He could not be. It wasn't possible. He died trying to find her? She would not believe it. She would never believe Ben was dead. As the darkness clouded her vision and she felt her legs give way beneath her, she promised herself it wasn't true. Ben had to be alive. Surely she would feel it in every fiber of her being if he were really gone. Ben watched the struggling black man thrown into the box with a sense of resignation. He had known it would come to this. For months he had wild, connived and sometimes pleaded to keep from having to make this decision, but the day had finally come when he could put it off no longer. He could not live with himself, would not be able to live with the monster he became, if he did not find a way to avert this disaster. The slaves were healthier now, they worked longer hours and got more done. They lived longer, and occasionally they even recovered from illnesses. He had made a real improvement in the lives of the men he considered to be under his charge, but with improved health had come more ambition. Like men anywhere, they wanted to be free. Two men had escaped in the last month, and now a man who would have been the third lay in that half-buried coffin Ben had all but died in. Manny would not agree to release him, and Ben would not watch a man die there for attempting to regain what should never have been taken from him. Ben turned away, moving away from the box toward his cabin now that the interment was over. He only had a few hours to arrange matters before he would have to take the black man's place. Manny caught up with him before he could enter his hovel, his thick legs stumping the earth so loudly that he sounded like a galloping bull. Where do you go, English? Time to work. I am going to read, said Ben without stopping. No. You come to field now and eat later, Manny said, breathing hard as he strode beside Ben. No. I am hungry now. Manny grabbed his shoulder with a hand the size of a fist and spun him around. Later English. You eat later. It is not time for you to eat. Ben let himself be held. I did not eat yesterday because we searched for the man, and I did not eat last night because we argued. He had spent hours trying to convince Manny that the box should be abolished as a punishment for trying to escape. I must eat or I will get sick again. Manny pondered this. Ben turned back toward his cabin but Manny stopped him before he could take a step. You smart English. Booty wig. You come with me now because you make big mistake if you do not. Ben appeared to consider Manny's words, then said. Can I have the girl bring me food? Manny looked relieved. Yes. Say bring food. I wait for you to tell her. He crossed his massive arms in a caricature of patience. Ben completed his walk to the cabin, opened the door to find Maya sweeping the floor with a branch. I must work today. Make me some food and bring it to me in the east field. He said. I am hungry, so come soon. Yes. He will come before the sun is high. She pointed overhead to indicate the noon hour. He took a moment to look at her, to study how her body had changed in the time they had shared. 
She seemed more beautiful somehow, more confident and stronger. He loved her more with every passing day. He left the cabin and walked back to Manny. They set off for the fields, true to her word, Maya appeared before noon. She had tied the food into a piece of cotton that she carried like a bag. As soon as she appeared he walked her away from the crew he was supposed to be watching, taking her to a place where they could speak freely. Today you must leave. He said without preamble. Take the food. You will have a long head start. You go back to your people and then you take them away from this place and these animals. No. He stayed with you, she said, her face betraying her horror at the idea of leaving him. I am leaving too. He lied. Tonight I leave for home, and you cannot come with me. Take me with you. Tears welled in her eyes. I cannot. I want you to be safe. If I am gone and you are alone here you know what will happen. He wished it were not necessary to remind her of her first days on the sugar plantation, but he saw no alternative. Go now, please. She studied him, then said. This is what you want? You not want to see me? You not want me? He took her hand and pulled her to him hard. He brought his lips to hers, kissing her as he had imagined doing a hundred times. He caressed her cheek with careful fingers. When she tried to speak he put a finger to her lips. I want you to go home where you will be safe, where your children will be safe. I want you to grow old far far away from here. I am leaving. I cannot take you with me. So you must go. Now. Please go now so I can protect you. She brushed her head against his chest and looked up at him for a long moment. Seeing his desperation she took a deep breath then turned away. A moment later she disappeared into the waving cane. I warn you English, said Manny. I say you be my friend and you live. You betray me and you no live. Ben turned his head to the wall of the box. He no longer had to play the fool for this animal. He had the freedom to ignore him now. You weak English, and you stupid. We cut the black man again soon. We put him back in the box after you are dead. You win nothing. Ben still did not speak. You will beg me to kill you soon English. You strong now. It will take you long time to die. Manny closed the lid and Ben heard the lock close. Once again trapped in a living hell, Ben prayed that Manny was wrong. Black had them load Chase into the wagon though he doubted the man would last the five miles to where the wraith waited. Curse the man for a fool, what madness it was to storm right into the Alcalde's house and demand the girl. There was no love lost between the British and Spanish in these waters. A less direct approach would probably have yielded better results. In fact, they could hardly have given him worse. Black shuddered at what Chase must have endured. From the scars on his back it looked as if Ben had not become one of the Alcalde's slaves willingly. But who would choose to break his back day after day in the cane fields? And he had spent days in that box before Black had been able to rescue him. What inspired a man to sacrifice himself so completely? Corwin, of course. Who could imagine the girl bedding that old man, bearing his children, wondering if she would ever see home again? Black felt the familiar rake in his chest, a return of the old sickness. Best to think of something else. Give him some water. He ordered one of the men in the wagon. Find a way to keep him cool. Black was determined not to think about Corwin. That madness was past now and he would not bring it back again. He did not love her, he did not hate her. He did not hope for her forgiveness or fear for her safety. In fact, he did not feel anything for anyone anywhere, and he meant to keep it that way. The weeks after he had discovered Corwin's disappearance had pushed him once again to the limit of his sanity. He had almost taken out after her, determined to capture her before she reached London and demand an explanation. Had not she loved him? 
He knew women, he had seen it in her eyes a hundred times. She had loved him and yet she had gone away. She owed him a reason for her betrayal. She had not even bothered to leave him a note, but her last words to him still echoed in his ears. Images of a thousand actions he now wished he had never taken began to haunt him. Hundreds of men had died on his blade, hundreds more he had led into battle. How many ships had he sent to the bottom of the sea? How many people had he killed? And when he was denied his victory by a mere slip of a girl wearing her first party dress, he had hunted her down, raped her, held her captive and carelessly let her be abused by strangers. Black was past redemption because no deed on this earth could ever be undone. After weeks of misery, a time had come when Black did not care if he lived or died. With that final surrender he had at last achieved a kind of peace. His sole comfort was that the girl he had harmed so much had finally effected an escape. He hadn't killed her. She had not allowed herself to be enslaved. She was free. When he heard from Andre that Corwin's brother had come searching for her, Black had felt renewed remorse. Another death on his conscience? He could not bear it. And so, here he was dragging Chase's broken body through the jungle so the man could die a free man among free men rather than a slave. If he had arrived a week or two earlier there might have been some hope, Ben did not stir as they moved him into the bobbing dinghy, nor when they brought him on board the wraith. Black had been placed in his cabin and called for the worthless horse on who claimed to be his surgeon. But what Chase needed was not a doctor but a miracle. Belatedly Devon realized he could provide the man with one. Chase. Black shook the unconscious man who lay immobile on his bunk. Can you hear me? Ben did not stir. Wake up, damn you. Black shook him again. Your sister is alive and I'm taking you to her. Black had to repeat the words several times before Ben cracked open his eyes. Yes, that's right. You are going home and she is there to meet you. Black made his voice harsh. Is seeing her worth living for? Ben managed a nod, then closed his eyes again. The surgeon entered the room and Black put him to work, then Black left the cabin and returned to deck. He gave the order to set sail for England and with some surprise he heard his men cheer. They were probably hoping someone would hang him when they arrived. He had dragged them halfway around the world twice in one year. Well, he would put Ben off the ship in Cornwall, far from London and close to home. He would make no attempt to see Corwin. God forbid he should ever see her again. He wished he could forget she existed in the world. He would just drop Lord Chase off and set sail for France. Smuggling privateering and piracy were his trade, and he could always find treasure for the taking in France. Pirate's Desire by Andrea Stewart. Voice recording copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music by Alexander Schweif licensed from Pond 5.